The destruction of Da Durga's hostel. There was a famous and noble king over Aaron, named Eoshade Fidelsh. Once upon a time he came over the fair green of Bree Layeth, and he saw at the edge of a well a woman with a bright comb of silver adorned with gold, washing in a silver basin wherein were four golden birds and little, bright gems of purple carbuncle in the rims of the basin. A mantle she had, curly and purple, a beautiful cloak, and in the mantle silvery fringes arranged, and a brooch of fairest gold. A kirtle she wore, long, hooded, hard smooth, of green silk, with red embroidery of gold. Marvelous clasps of gold and silver in the kirtle on her breasts and her shoulders and spalds on every side. The sun kept shining upon her, so that the glistening of the gold against the sun from the green silk was manifest to men. On her head were two golden-yellow tresses, in each of which was a play of four locks, with a bead at the point of each lock. The hue of that hair seemed to them like the flower of the iris in summer, or like red gold after the burnishing thereof. There she was, undoing her hair to wash it, with her arms out through the sleeve holes of her smock. White as the snow of one night were the two hands, soft and even, and red as foxglove were the two clear beautiful cheeks. Dark as the back of a stag beetle the two eyebrows. Like a shower of pearls were the teeth in her head. Blue as a hyacinth were the eyes. Red as rowan berries the lips. Very high, smooth and soft white the shoulders. Clear white and lengthy the fingers. Long were the hands. White as the foam of a wave was the flank, slender, long, tender, smooth, soft as wool. Polished and warm, sleek and white were the two thighs. Round and small, hard and white the two knees. Short and white and rule straight the two shins. Justly straight and beautiful the two heels. If a measure were put on the feet it would hardly have found them unequal, unless the flesh of the coverings should grow upon them. The bright radiance of the moon was in her noble face, the loftiness of pride in her smooth eyebrows, the light of wooing in each of her regal eyes. A dimple of delight in each of her cheeks, with a dappling in them, at one time, of purple spots with redness of a calf's blood, and at another with the bright luster of snow. Soft womanly dignity in her voice, a step steady and slow she had, a queenly gait was hers. Verily, of the world women twas she was the dearest and loveliest and justest that the eyes of men had ever beheld. It seemed to King Eoshade and his followers that she was from the elf mounds. Of her was said, Shapely are all till compared with a tain, dear are all till compared with a tain. A longing for her straightway seized the king, so he sent forward a man of his people to detain her. The king asked tidings of her and said, while announcing himself, Shall I have an hour of dalliance with thee? Tis for that we have come hither under thy safeguard, quoth she. Query, whence art thou and whence hast thou come, says Eoshade. Easy to say, quoth she. Attain am I, daughter of Eder, king of the cavalcade from the elf mounds. I have been here for twenty years since I was born in an elf mound. The men of the elf mound, both kings and nobles, have been wooing me, but naught was gotten from me, because ever since I was able to speak, I have loved thee and given thee a child's love for the high tales about thee and thy splendor. And though I had never seen thee, I knew thee at once from thy description, it is thou, then, I have reached. No, seeking of an ill friend afar, shall be thine, says Eoshade. Thou shalt have welcome, and for thee every other woman shall be left by me, and with thee alone will I live so long as thou hast honor. My proper bride price to me, she says, and afterwards my desire. Thou shalt have both, says Eoshade. 
seven cummels are given to her. Then the king, even Eoshade Fidelsh, dies, leaving one daughter named, like her mother, Atain, and wedded to Cormac, king of Ulaid. After the end of a time Cormac, king of Ulaid, the man of the three gifts, forsakes Eoshade's daughter, because she was barren save for one daughter that she had borne to Cormac after the making of the pottage which her mother, the woman from the elf mounds, gave her. Then she said to her mother, Bad as what thou hast given me, it will be a daughter that I shall bear. That will not be good, says her mother, a king's pursuit will be on her. Then Cormac weds again his wife, even Atain, and this was his desire, that the daughter of the woman who had before been abandoned i.e. his own daughter should be killed. So Cormac would not leave the girl to her mother to be nursed. Then his two thralls take her to a pit, and she smiles a laughing smile at them as they were putting her into it. Then their kindly nature came to them. They carry her into the calfshed of the cowherds of Etrascale, great-grandson of Eyre, king of Terra, and they fostered her till she became a good embroideress, and there was not in Ireland a king's daughter dearer than she. A fenced house of wickerwork was made by the thralls for her, without any door, but only a window and a skylight. King Eterskel's folk espy that house and suppose that it was food that the cowherds kept there. But one of them went and looked through the skylight, and he saw in the house the dearest, beautifulest maiden. This is told to the king, and straightway he sends his people to break the house and carry her off without asking the cowherds. For the king was childless, and it had been prophesied to him by his wizards that a woman of unknown race would bear him a son. Then said the king, This is the woman that has been prophesied to me. Now while she was there next morning she saw a bird on the skylight coming to her, and he leaves his bird skin on the floor of the house, and went to her and possessed her, and said, They are coming to thee from the king to wreck thy house and to bring thee to him perforce. And thou wilt be pregnant by me, and bear a son, and that son must not kill birds. And, Conair, son of Mespochala, shall be his name, for hers was Mespochala, the cowherd's foster child. And then she was brought to the king, and with her went her fosterers, and she was betrothed to the king, and he gave her seven cummels and to her fosterers seven other cummels. And afterwards they were made chieftains, so that they all became legitimate, whence are the two fedlinthi rectidi. And then she bore a son to the king, even Conair son of Mespochala, and these were her three urgent prayers to the king, to wit, the nursing of her son among three households, that is, the fosterers who had nurtured her, and the two honeywarded Maness, and she herself as the third, and she said that such of the men of Aaron as should wish to do aught for this boy should give to those three households for the boy's protection. So in that wise he was reared, and the men of Aaron straightway knew this boy on the day he was born. And other boys were fostered with him, to wit, Fairla and Fair Gar and Fair Rajin, three great-grandsons of Dondeza the champion, an army man of the army from Muklasi. Now Conair possessed three gifts, to wit, the gift of hearing and the gift of eyesight and the gift of judgment, and of those three gifts he taught one to each of his three foster brothers. And whatever meal was prepared for him, the four of them would go to it. Even though three meals were prepared for him each of them would go to his meal. The same raiment and armor and color of horses had the four. Then the king, even Ederskela, died. A bull feast is gathered by the men of Aaron, in order to determine their future king, that is, a bull used to be killed by them and thereof one man would eat his fill and drink its broth, and a spell of truth was chanted over him in his bed. Whosoever he would see in his sleep would be king, and the sleeper would perish if he uttered a falsehood. 
four men in chariots were on the plain of Liffey at their game, Conair himself and his three foster brothers. Then his fosterers went to him that he might repair to the bull feast. The bull feaster, then in his sleep, at the end of the night beheld a man stark naked, passing along the road of Terra, with a stone in his sling. I will go in the morning after you, quoth he. He left his foster brothers at their game, and turned his chariot and his charioteer until he was in Dublin. There he saw great, white speckled birds, of unusual size and color and beauty. He pursues them until his horses were tired. The birds would go a spearcast before him, and would not go any further. He alighted, and takes his sling for them out of the chariot. He goes after them until he was at the sea. The birds betake themselves to the wave. He went to them and overcame them. The birds quit their bird skins, and turn upon him with spears and swords. One of them protects him, and addressed him, saying, I am Namblin, king of thy father's birds, and thou hast been forbidden to cast at birds, for here there is no one that should not be dear to thee because of his father or mother. Till today, says Conair, I knew not this. Go to Terra tonight, says Namblin, tis fittest for thee. A bull feast is there, and through it thou shalt be king. A man stark naked, who shall go at the end of the night along one of the roads of Terra, having a stone and a sling, tis he that shall be king. So in this wise Conair fared forth, and on each of the four roads whereby men go to Terra there were three kings awaiting him, and they had raiment for him, since it had been foretold that he would come stark naked. Then he was seen from the road on which his fosterers were, and they put royal raiment about him, and placed him in a chariot, and he bound his pledges. The folk of Terra said to him, It seems to us that our bullfeast and our spell of truth are a failure, if it be only a young, beardless lad that we have visioned therein. That is of no moment, quoth he. For a young, generous king like me to be in the kingship is no disgrace, since the binding of Terra's pledges is mine by right of father and grandsire. Excellent, excellent, says the host. They set the kingship of Aaron upon him. And he said, I will inquire of wise men that I myself may be wise. Then he uttered all this as he had been taught by the man at the wave, who said this to him, Thy reign will be subject to a restriction, but the bird reign will be noble, and this shall be thy restriction, i.e. thy taboo. Thou shalt not go right hand wise round Terra and left hand wise round Bregia. The evil beasts of Cherna must not be hunted by thee. And thou shalt not go out every ninth night beyond Terra. Thou shalt not sleep in a house from which firelight is manifest outside, after sunset, and in which light is manifest from without. And three reds shall not go before thee to Red's house. And no rapine shall be wrought in thy reign. And after sunset a company of one woman or one man shall not enter the house in which thou art. And thou shalt not settle the quarrel of thy two thralls. Now there were in his reign great bounties, to wit, seven ships in every June in every year arriving at Inverculptha, three in Oakmast up to the knees in every autumn, and plenty of fish in the rivers Bush and Boyne in the June of each year, and such abundance of goodwill that no one slew another in Aaron during his reign. And to every one in Aaron his fellow's voice seemed as sweet as the strings of lutes. From mid-spring to mid-autumn no wind disturbed a cow's tail. His reign was neither thunderous nor stormy. Now his foster brothers murmured at the taking from them of their fathers and their grandsires' gifts, namely theft and robbery and slaughter of men and rapine. 
they thieved the three thefts from the same man, to wit, a swine and an ox and a cow, every year, that they might see what punishment therefore the king would inflict upon them, and what damage the theft in his reign would cause to the king. Now every year the farmer would come to the king to complain, and the king would say to him, Go thou and address Don Days's three great-grandsons, for tis they that have taken the beasts. Whenever he went to speak to Don Days's descendants they would almost kill him, and he would not return to the king lest Conair should attend his hurt. Since, then, pride and willfulness possessed them, they took to marauding, surrounded by the sons of the lords of the men of Aaron. Thrice fifty men had they as pupils when they the pupils were wolfing in the province of Connaught, until Main Milscothach's swineherd saw them, and he had never seen that before. He went in flight. When they heard him they pursued him. The swineherd shouted, and the people of the two Maines came to him, and the thrice fifty men were arrested, along with their auxiliaries, and taken to Terra. They consulted the king concerning the matter, and he said, let each father slay his son, but let my fosterlings be spared. Leave, leave, says every one, it shall be done for thee. Nay indeed, quoth he, no, cast of life, by me is the doom I have delivered. The men shall not be hung, but let veterans go with them that they may wreak their rapine on the men of Alba. This they do. Thence they put to sea and met the son of the king of Britain, even Ingsail the one-eyed, grandson of Conmac, thrice fifty men and their veterans they met upon the sea. They make an alliance, and go with Ingsail and wrought rapine with him. This is the destruction which his own impulse gave him. That was the night that his mother and his father and his seven brothers had been bidden to the house of the king of his district. All of them were destroyed by Ingsail in a single night. Then the Irish pirates put out to sea to the land of Aaron to seek a destruction as payment for that to which Ingsail had been entitled from them. In Conair's reign there was perfect peace in Aaron, save that in Thomond there was a joining of battle between the two carbers. Two foster brothers of his were they. And until Conair came it was impossible to make peace between them. Twas a taboo of his to go to separate them before they had repaired to him. He went, however, although to do so was one of his taboos, and he made peace between them. He remained five nights with each of the two. That also was a taboo of his. After settling the two quarrels, he was traveling to Terra. This is the way they took to Terra, past Usnek of Meath, and they saw the raiding from east and west, and from south and north, and they saw the warbands and the hosts, and the men stark naked, and the land of the southern O'Neills was a cloud of fire around him. What is this? asked Conair. Easy to say, his people answer. Easy to know that the king's law has broken down therein, since the country has begun to burn. Whither shall we betake ourselves, says Conair. To the northeast, says his people. So then they went right hand wise round Terra, and left hand wise round Bregia, and the evil beasts of Cherna were hunted by him. But he saw it not till the chase had ended. They that made of the world that smoky mist of magic were elves, and they did so because Conair's taboos had been violated. Great fear then fell on Conair because they had no way to wend save upon the road of Midlua Chair and the road of Qualu. So they took their way by the coast of Ireland southward. Then said Conair on the road of Qualu, Whither shall we go tonight? May I succeed in telling thee. My fosterling Conair, says Mac Cecht, son of Snade Tyked, the champion of Conair, son of Ederscale.
oftener have the men of Aaron been contending for thee every night than thou hast been wandering about for a guesthouse. Judgment goes with good times, says Conair. I had a friend in this country, if only we knew the way to his house. What is his name? asked Mac Cecht. Da Durga of Leinster, answered Conair. He came unto me to seek a gift from me, and he did not come with a refusal. I gave him a hundred kine of the drove. I gave him a hundred fatted swine. I gave him a hundred mantles made of close cloth. I gave him a hundred blue-colored weapons of battle. I gave him ten red, gilded brooches. I gave him ten vats good and brown. I gave him ten thralls. I gave him ten querns. I gave him thrice nine hounds all white in their silvern chains. I gave him a hundred race horses in the herds of deer. There would be no abatement in his case though he should come again. He would make return. It is strange if he is surly to me tonight when reaching his abode. When I was acquainted with his house, says Mac Cecht, the road whereon thou art going towards him was the boundary of his abode. It continues till it enters his house, for through the house passes the road. There are seven doorways into the house, and seven bedrooms between every two doorways, but there is only one door valve on it, and that valve is turned to every doorway to which the wind blows. With all that thou hast here, says Conair, thou shalt go in thy great multitude until thou alight in the midst of the house. If so be, answers Mac Cecht, that thou goest thither, I go on that I may strike fire there ahead of thee. When Conair after this was journeying along the road of Qualu, he marked before him three horsemen riding towards the house. Three red frocks had they, and three red mantles, three red bucklers they bore, and three red spears were in their hands, three red steeds they bestrode, and three red heads of hair were on them. Red were they all, both body and hair and raiment, both steeds and men. Who is it that fares before us? asked Conair. It was a taboo of mine for those three to go before me, the three reds to the house of red. Who will follow them and tell them to come towards me in my track? I will follow them, says Lay Fry Flaith, Conair's son. He goes after them, lashing his horse, and overtook them not. There was the length of a spear cast between them, but they did not gain upon him and he did not gain upon them. He told them not to go before the king. He overtook them not, but one of the three men sang a lay to him over his shoulder, Lo, my son, great the news, news from a hostel. Lo, my son. They go away from him then, he could not detain them. The boy waited for the host. He told his father what was said to him. Conair liked it not. After them, thou, says Conair, and offer them three oxen and three bacon pigs, and so long as they shall be in my household, no one shall be among them from fire to wall. So the lad goes after them, and offers them that, and overtook them not. But one of the three men sang a lay to him over his shoulder. Lo, my son, great the news. A generous king's great ardor wets thee, burns thee. Through ancient men's enchantments a company of nine yields. Lo, my son. The boy turns back and repeated the lay to Conair. Go after them, says Conair, and offer them six oxen and six bacon pigs, and my leavings, and gifts tomorrow, and so long as they shall be in my household no one to be among them from fire to wall. The lad then went after them, and overtook them not, but one of the three men answered and said, Lo, my son, great the news. Weary are the steeds we ride. 
We ride the steeds of Don Tescorach from the elf mounds. Though we are alive we are dead. Great are the signs, destruction of life, sating of ravens, feeding of crows, strife of slaughter, wetting of sword edge, shields with broken bosses in hours after sundown. Lo, my son. Then they go from him. I see that thou hast not detained the men, says Conair. Indeed it is not I that betrayed it, says Lay Fry Flaith. He recited the last answer that they gave him. Conair and his retainers were not blithe thereat, and afterwards evil forebodings of terror were on them. All my taboos have seized me tonight, says Conair, since those three reds are the banished folks. They went forward to the house and took their seats therein, and fastened their red steeds to the door of the house. That is the forefaring of the three reds in the Bruden da Durga. This is the way that Conair took with his troops, to Dublin. Tis then the man of the black, cropped hair, with his one hand and one eye and one foot, overtook them. Rough cropped hair upon him. Though a sackful of wild apples were flung on his crown, not an apple would fall on the ground, but each of them would stick on his hair. Though his snout were flung on a branch they would remain together. Long and thick as an outer yoke was each of his two shins. Each of his buttocks was the size of a cheese on a width. A forked pole of iron black pointed was in his hand. A swine, black bristled, singed, was on his back, squealing continually, and a woman big-mouthed, huge, dark, sorry, hideous, was behind him. Though her snout were flung on a branch, the branch would support it. Her lower lip would reach her knee. He starts forward to meet Conair, and made him welcome. Welcome to thee, O Master Conair. Long hath thy coming hither been known. Who gives the welcome? asks Conair. Fair Kai here, with his black swine for thee to consume that thou be not fasting tonight, for tis thou art the best king that has come into the world. What is thy wife's name? says Conair. Situal, he answers. Any other night, says Conair, that pleases you, I will come to you, and leave us alone tonight. Nay, say the churl, for we will go to thee to the place wherein thou wilt be tonight, O fair little master Conair. So he goes towards the house, with his great, big-mouthed wife behind him, and his swine short bristled, black, singed, squealing continually, on his back. That was one of Conair's taboos, and that plunder should be taken in Ireland during his reign was another taboo of his. Now plunder was taken by the sons of Don Deza, and five hundred there were in the body of their marauders, besides what underlings were with them. This, too, was a taboo of Conair's. There was a good warrior in the north country, Wayne over withered sticks, this was his name. Why he was so called was because he used to go over his opponent even as a Wayne would go over withered sticks. Now plunder was taken by him, and there were five hundred in the body of their marauders alone, besides underlings. 